With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. My name is Gina Rivera, the Frank Sinatra of the Spanish Mafia, the Puerto Rican Pitbull, Mr. 205 Live. And you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. I just got this feeling. A warm welcome. It's episode 59 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. My guest today is coming all the way from Baltimore, Maryland. It is Mr. Brian Hardy. Brian has worked lots of extra spots for WWE over the years. He's been in the ring with Ryback. He's been in the ring with the Viking Raiders too. You'll get to hear about the etiquette backstage. All the stuff that us as fans don't really know about, but we hear off the wrestlers. Brian is a musician as well. You can find him at Brian Hardy across all social media, across all streaming apps too. So it was nice to come off the topic of wrestling for a bit and talk about his music career. He's a family man too. I've got a lot of respect for Brian. So here we are without further ado, episode 59 with Mr. Brian Hardy. Enjoy. My guest all the way from Baltimore, Maryland is none other than Mr. Brian Hardy. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you doing today? Thank you. We finally got it done, Brian. We got it, man. Let's do this. Ready to ready to have some fun today. Just to be current, before I get into wrestling, music, and all the topics I want to speak about, how has the pandemic been for you in Baltimore, for you and the family? Um, man, it's crazy. I, I can't honestly believe that the year is already almost up. You know, like, I keep thinking about it. I'm like, we're going to be in November in just a couple of days, and this has been going on since March, so, like, no independent shows, no, uh, you know, for music and wrestling, um, a lot of time spent around the house, which has given me the opportunity for one of my biggest passions ever, which is action figure collecting. And uh, so I've had a lot of downtime uh, taking care of my kids and, you know, hanging out with my wife and all that good stuff. So it's not too bad because, I mean, it's all the things that I like to do in the house, but I'm not used to the whole mask thing and I'm not used to not being able to shake hands with people and stuff. It really means a lot to do that kind of stuff. And when I'm not able to, it's kind of like, eh. 
Which figures have you got your hands on? Oh, man. I got a little of everything, to be honest with you. Um, I know you're probably going to ask about my uh, my wrestling album in a little bit and stuff like that, but uh, there's a song on my album called Action Figures, and it talks about my love for all the different wrestling figures, Remco's and Hasbro's. And I mean, I'm into like collecting like rare Japanese and Mexican wrestling figures and all this kind of stuff. So it's just crazy, man. I've always got my hand in a little of everything. I love the AWA Remco's for sure. They are like my, my favorite along with the ECW line, the OSFTM line. So yeah. Did you watch the toys that made us on Netflix? I did. Hey, yeah, I man. loved it. Now we're I loved it. I, I think, uh, I think it, there was a lot of insight that people didn't know about, mm-hmm. like the owners of OSFTM and Jack Specific and stuff. So that was that was cool. Which figure do you want that's eluded you? What, what? Oh. It's got to be a piece, Brian, that you need that you really, really want. You want to get your hands on it? Go on, hit me with it, man. <sighs> I'd probably say uh, Nord the Barbarian AWA Remco figure from '85 uh, or. I don't know. I, I just acquired the uh, the Rob Van Dam in a red singlet uh, for the ECW line, which was hard because you could only get it with the uh, with the box, uh, with the ring and the cage and stuff like that. So after about probably twenty years of hunting for it <laughs> since it came out, I finally have one now. <laughs> How much? Uh, to be honest, it wasn't too pricey, uh, but it was for because I bought it with an entire lot. So, I mean, when you break down the price of it, it's not too bad. But I did see one the other day going on eBay for $249. So. Worth, worth a bit. Worth a bit, that is. <laughs> right. To you now, and it was the, the origins of your career, so training, wrestling. How, how did it begin for you, the school you went to? Yeah, building, building yourself up back in the day, man. Absolutely. So, um, when I was about, I don't know, probably about two or three years old, my earliest memories of pro wrestling was, I always say my first memory of pro wrestling was what, sitting on my great-grandfather's lap watching the Ultimate Warrior run down the aisle. And I was like, that was just, it stuck out in my mind since I was a kid. But I can remember being a little kid and my mom picking me up and putting me on the waterbed. And she's like, we're going to watch Daddy on TV tonight. And I'm like, what? And um, I didn't grasp the concept that like my dad was a professional wrestler. So uh, watching you know, my dad and, and Gilbert, <laughs> Uh, against like the Steiner brothers and, and different people like that on TV each week, the head shrinkers and stuff was very eye opening because I was like, Whoa, this guy's like my dad. And I never had the best, uh, you know, family life. It's been a, it's been a broken family life over the years, but uh, it was cool to know that like my mom would say, yeah, that guy's your dad, that guy's your dad. And uh, he'd be on TV every week. So it was like, I understood why he couldn't be at home because he was, he was on the road doing that and making a living and stuff. But that was my earliest memories of wrestling, which led uh, me to just being obsessed with it. Action figures, magazines, you name it over the years. I was just absolutely captivated by anything pro wrestling. I mean, if I walked through the grocery store and I saw a sticker, I wanted it just because it was wrestling. Um, I, I backyard wrestled like everybody. I was really into the idea of like, oh, I got to do this when I'm older. And all of my friends in the neighborhood, they all went on to be like electricians and contractors and all this other stuff. And at 18, as soon as I graduated from high school, I had already had one kid with my wife and another one on the way. And uh, I said, I think I'm going to give this pro wrestling thing a shot. So I worked a day job like anybody else does. And I started uh, going to a wrestling school in Middle River, Maryland, which is about 30 minutes away from where I live right now. 
and basically I was paying money and I was on like a payment plan and the guys were just like literally taking me there and beating the crap out of me. Now I, it wasn't like in my eyes, it wasn't even like a paying dues. Like if they wanted to beat me up really bad and stuff, that's fine. Like initiation type thing. But they kind of were just taking my money from me and not teaching me anything. And I always say like, when you're in, when you're looking for a pro wrestling school, you'll, I'll probably repeat this later on. When you're looking for a pro wrestling school, go somewhere credible because at the end of the day, and I know a million people say this all the time, but like you're going to find a bunch of people that are just going to want to take money from you and can't promise you anything. They can't promise you a wrestling license and education and pro wrestling, any of that kind of stuff. So it's like, they were just looking for quick cash from me. So I left there and I went home. I was all bummed out. I was ready to quit. And I told my grandmother, I said, I, I can't do it. I can't do this wrestling thing and stuff. And she said, well, what, what do you think you need to do to like really become a good wrestler? I said, I need a ring. I need a ring at my disposal all the time. So my grandmother had uh, went in half with me and we bought a wrestling ring and I had a wrestling ring in the, in the wow. backyard. So it was like, I'd wake up every day and just go outside and just start training. And like, I would tell people they would laugh cause I wasn't sure whether they thought that I was just joking them or not, but they would, um, ask like you know what was your childhood like and i was like i remember being a little kid too and there being a wrestling ring in my basement because my dad used to train with guys like Dwayne. he he trained gilbert uh axel rotten different guys like that like he had so many different hands on so many different guys and uh that big ring in my basement as a kid so it was it was, i've always kind of had a wrestling ring or a trampoline or something around too as a child so uh, that was pretty much it. And I ended up debuting at 19 years old. I was a referee when I was 18 for a couple independent promotions. And then at 19, I had my first pro match and I'm 30 years old now and still going strong with it. Who was the first match with mom? Uh, I was in Buffalo, New York, which is crazy. Cause I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. So I drove eight and a half hours up to uh, Buffalo for my first match. It was myself and my dad against, um, two different teams. It was a tag gauntlet. And I don't remember the first team's name. I'm spacing on it really bad, but I know that one of the guys in that tag team ended up being a lawyer for like a Vince McMahon segment or something on Monday Night Raw a few years back. <laughs> and, um, and then there was another tag team that was really good. They were called the Amanon Boys. And uh, they were just absolutely fantastic high flyers and stuff like that. And uh, had my first match against those guys. Uh, we beat the first team, and then uh, the second team, the Amanda boys that came out, I ended up getting powder to the face and taking the pin from the guy. So it was it was cool, man. It was fun. 19 years old, traveling with my dad, scared out of my mind, dude. Sold out building, you know, for an indie show up there. It was like almost, I don't know, six 700 people wow. or something. So That's good it was going. a big deal. That's good going, yeah, man. Good numbers for an indie show, absolutely. So, how about crafting your move set? How how was that? How did you find that in the early days? What what moves were you hitting? So, I was a diehard uh, a diehard fan. And to go back real fast on the on the training, so my dad had actually come down from Florida, and when I when I bought the ring with my grandmother, uh, my dad came down from Florida where he was living at. Uh, he still is there at the moment. He was training me, so I was trained by my dad. Um, and then Axel Rotten was coming over almost every single week. And I also had uh, Patrick Brink from, at the time, uh, he was in FCW. He was a former FCW talent. He had just been released. He was coming over to work with me. I had all these different hands Like when I was younger. People always say, like, who were you trained by? And I'm like, I can't just say that I was trained by one person because I've, been, I've worked with so many different people over the years that have helped me that it's like I could pick a little bit from Carlito. I could pick a little bit from Charlie Haas and – all these different people that had made me 
who I am today. So, and I mean, as far as like cutting promos, Jim Cornette and stuff like that, like had tryouts with all three, you know, major promotions, uh, TNA ring of honor and WWE. So I've, I've, I've been able to fortunate enough to be blessed with that. But, uh, back to the move set, honestly, I would say when I was training with Axel the most, he would always say, you're skinny. You need to pick up a little bit of weight, but you remind me of a young Tom Billington, the dynamite kid. So I was obsessed with the dynamite kid and I watched dynamite kid and tiger mask matches. I'd watch matches uh, with Bret Hart and dynamite kid. I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. I loved Davey Richards. I loved Chris Benoit. I loved all those guys that were just like tiny little dudes, five, seven, five, eight, but could just go fast as lightning, you know? And I paid tribute to them with my early tights in the business because I'd wear the lightning bolts down the side of the tights like they would and stuff like that. And I would use all the stuff, man, the flying head, but the tombstone, the super kick, the, you know, all these different things that for a little guy worked for me. I want to scoot forward. Now you've had many bookings for WWE over the years. I, I saw you. How did that come to fruition? And how was it in terms of backstage etiquette? Guys, guys you met, obviously you'd seen on TV and you respected. Yeah, just your experiences with WWE. Because I know you've been with the WWE in Absolutely. many different capacities over the years. Absolutely. So, um, grateful. I, I tell everybody, you know, time and time again, I don't really have anything terrible to say about them because they gave me so many opportunities again and again. Professional wrestling owes you nothing. You know, I tell people that all the time. Pro wrestling owes you nothing. If anything, you owe it. I've been able to feed my family off of it and pay my bills for a long time, and I'm super grateful for it. Uh, it doesn't last forever, so they say save your money, you know, and stuff like that. But um, the first time that I went to WWE, I was 21. So I was in the business for a couple of years uh, doing the independence nonstop. And my independent uh, career was nuts, man. I was wrestling guys that most people at the time had dreamed about and I had dreamed about. I mean, like I was wrestling different guys like Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Nature Boy Buddy Landell, Jerry the King Lawler, Hexall Jim Duggan, like the list goes on and on. So it was like I was building quite a reputation for myself on the independent scene, which I think had got me seen. I, at least I think so. I had said I think the biggest match that defined my independent career and still to this day, my favorite independent match ever, me against Jerry Lawler. And I think that's what uh, open the door for WWE for me. People say, do you think your dad got you there? Do you think this or that? And I say, no, to be honest with you, I think the Jerry Lawler match got me there because so many people had talked to me about it. And there was just such a buzz on the independence at the time. And that was back in 2012, right before I popped up on WWE for the first time. So I was standing at, at my day job and I got a call and it was, uh, one of the chicks, Amanda from talent relations. And she called me on the phone and she said, um, William Regal wants to have a tryout with you uh, on, I think at the time it was like June 18th, 2012 or something. I still remember the date uh, at the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York. And I said, dang, well, Nassau to me was cool anyway, because part of WrestleMania 2 took place there. So I was freaking out. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I get to go to a building that has so much history and this and that. So I got booked for that, and then I got booked the next night for Baltimore in my hometown here at the Baltimore Arena. And, I mean, that was crazy. I'll get into that in a second. But uh, the, the day I went for the first tryout, uh, Regal had nothing but great things to say to me. Uh, and he was just so positive and such a nice guy. And, like, he's – but he's very straightforward, you know. Like, he'll tell you, if you suck, you suck, you know. Like, and if you're doing good, 
he'll tell you you're doing good and what you can work on and stuff like that. But he was just so positive and such, you know, just a good light on that day that I left there thinking, okay, now they messed with me the first day, the behind the scenes stuff. They messed with me the first day because that night I was actually supposed to have my first WWE match, which a lot of people don't know. I was going to wrestle Dean Ambrose that night. So Dean Ambrose was fresh in WWE at the time, and uh, he was still wearing trunks and everything like that, fresh out of CZW, right to WWE. And um, he was doing the dark matches every night, and they literally, they had had a pay-per-view the night before, and then they were in Long Island for Raw. We're in the extra locker room, which half the size of a broom closet, and, you know, you got eight or ten guys shoved in one room, like sardines, like trying to pull their gear on and stuff. And at WWE, they have a rule, which is you rather have to be in a suit and tie at all times or you have to be in your wrestling gear if, if you're needed for something. Um, so they said to me, they're like, Hardy. And I'm like, yep. And at the time, this was Mark Carano, who was in charge of all the stuff at the time, and, and uh, which some people may have seen him on Total Divas and stuff like that. So Mark Carano says, Hardy, you're dark tonight. And I'm like, oh, great. And I'm like, all oh, gearing up and wrist tape and everything like that. They come back five minutes later and they're like, uh, Hardy, you're not dark tonight. Rodriguez, you're dark tonight. And literally the guy sitting across from me is like, yes. And he like grabs his gear and puts it on and everything. And then they're like, get back in your suit. So I get back in my suit. Then they come back five minutes later and they're like, Hardy, you're dark tonight. Rodriguez, you're not dark tonight. And they did this like three or four times where literally they had me get dressed. And then they, I think by like the third time I was like, dude, I'm just pulling my dress clothes up over my gear. Like I'm tired of getting dressed. So I think that was because I was new and they were just trying to mess with me and see how, you know, how much they could punk me out or whatever. But either way, the other guy did end up getting the match that night and I was pretty bummed out. And then Arn Anderson had come to me the next day and uh, we were in Baltimore and he said, uh, I was talking to Ryback and Ryback wants to work with you tonight. And he was like, so we're going to do you. And they were, they had like three or four other guys out there that they were trying to get to, uh, find out who they were going to do the two-on-one against. They were trying to do the three-on-one, but Ryback, the placement, he's so strong. It's not that he couldn't lift guys, but, like, it's hard to, like, stick your hand through a guy's leg and then another guy's leg. And, like, so they couldn't do Feed Me 3. They wanted to do Feed Me 3, and they just couldn't make it happen. So it was Feed Me 2. So I felt really bad because I had a buddy from Allentown and another one that had drove, like, probably four or five hours and, I was really hoping that they would have got the spot, uh, but they unfortunately didn't that night. And uh, Black G's, uh, who was Sabian and CCW, got the spot. And that was really cool. He was easy to work with and stuff like that, too. So it was me and him against Ryback. That was my first WWE match. And uh, a lot of people say the Ryback's unsafe and stuff like that. And uh, I can't say that. You know, like uh, he was just nothing but an absolute pleasure to work with. He took care of me. And, uh, the only thing, if you watched the match back, that was like even a little bad in the match was he picked me, uh, picked uh, Sabian up and threw him on top of me. And when he did, I felt like my ribs had broke, but they didn't. But besides that, the rest of the match went really smooth. Mike Kyoto got the referee my wow. first match. Yeah, that was that was a big deal for me because yeah. I was just a diehard WWF fan as a kid. So I'm like, Mike Kyoto is refereeing my first WWE <laughs> match. Like William Regal, you know, was yeah. uh, having the tryout with me. Mike Kyoto ref my first match and Arn Anderson was the producer for my first match with Ryback. So I'm like, this is like talk about the caliber of talent, you know, that is right there in, in that little set alone. So how 
how was it seeing the guys in that environment the first time? How, how did you find it? Um, I always describe the catering area as high school all over again. So you pick up your, you know, your tray or your plate or whatever. And you're over the years, it's gotten easier because now people are starting to recognize my face and um, they're a lot more accepting of me, I guess to say. But when I first would go there, like the first couple of times, it's like, you know, you take your plate and you walk into the catering and you're just kind of looking around like the new kid in school. Like, who can I sit with? Oh, there's John Cena and somebody else. And here's great Kali. And no, I don't want to make anybody mad. Like (laughs) who can I sit with? And then, you know, like they have a table of extras. So like most of the time, if you see the extra sitting there, don't be an idiot to it, go there and sit with the extras. But I have seen guys literally try to like squeeze in between three or four, you know, stars before Uh, I've seen a guy that's been absolutely ignorant uh, to Shane McMahon who has like Shane has asked for the guy's seat before. And the guy was like, no, find your own seat. Like, and he was like kidding, but Shane wasn't Shane's like, I want to sit down and eat, you know, like, so it's, it's high school definitely for sure. Uh, And it's, it's very intimidating. But like I said, over the years, I've learned to just be very respectful. If I see a signed contracted talent that needs to sit down, I offer my seat right away and get up if if there's no seats available. And um, if, you know, whatever the case may be, I, I keep to myself, I, I stay, you know, very low profile and uh, that's the best way to be respectful and, uh, who knows, eventually one day maybe it will pay off as a full-time deal. You've been a security member before now, haven't you? Yes. Can you tell us about that? Obviously, coming away from go- getting in the ring and being a security a member of security on screen. Ab- absolutely. So um, there was a few different times. What's crazy was last year, right around WrestleMania, um, I don't know if you remember seeing the the day that it was a Monday night raw episode where uh, Charlotte and Ronda Rousey were fighting in the back of a car and kicked the window out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, initially that day I was scheduled to be a, uh, a security guy, like a, a DC police officer or whatever. And they had all the guys in the ring and stuff. I kind of bypassed that, which was like pretty crazy. And I don't even know why they didn't have me do it. It was just a bunch of different stuff going on that day. WrestleMania weekend nut- is totally nuts there anyway. Like it's crazy people don't have time for anything during WrestleMania week. Cause it's just, everybody's going a million miles a minute. So I was told I was going to do something on uh, raw that day, the next night at SmackDown. Um, I showed up and they said, Adam Pierce walked over to me. Adam Pierce is like the nicest guy in the world. Uh, and I really look up to him NWA heavyweight champion, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, he's a producer and he's getting a lot of TV time with WWE at the moment right now, which I love. I love seeing, I just think Pierce is such a great guy. And, um, to me, it meant a lot because I was like, I don't really want to do a security spot. I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking that I'm not dare going to pass up an opportunity to get my face on TV for a few minutes, but I'm like, I kind of don't want to do the security spot. Pierce is like, uh, Hardy, can you take a, uh, knee to the face from buddy Murphy tonight? And I'm like, absolutely let's do it so um so i had went and got dressed in the security outfit they gave me and stuff like that and uh he's like telling me like over and over again now i want you to bump this way i want you to sell you know like and i was just like oh god i don't want to let down adam pierce like whatever i do i don't want to let him down because i really want to make this look good i want to make it look good for murphy and niece who were having a feud on 205 at the time for the cruiserweight title and i'm like all right so uh on the, on the episode of 205 Live from April 2nd, 2019, uh, 
we're, they're struggling, they're fighting, all security guards come out and try to break him up, and I grab uh, Tony Nese, and I've got him by the arms and stuff, and all of a sudden he moves out of the way, and Buddy Murphy comes running, hits me, boom, right with the knee, and it looked like an explosion. Everyone said, it looked like he took your face off, you know, like, and it was so cool because that was probably the second biggest time that I've gotten like high regards from everybody in the back. When I came walking through the back curtain, everybody was standing there clapping and literally Pierce had grabbed me and gave me a hug. And it was awesome because like, I felt like, man, for a second, I was just as important as the two guys that are in this focal point for this cruiserweight title, because they were so impressed with the fact that it looked like my head exploded when he, you know, gave me this knee and I bumped perfectly on the stage and, to bump on a stage, man, comparison to bumping in a ring is like that stuff hurts bad, you know, because you're hitting, you know, really hard on that stage. So there's no padding or anything like that. So it was very, very cool, very humbling. And uh, the fact that Adam Pierce was in that segment with me was even cooler because then the next day on uh, YouTube and WWE.com and stuff, there was like a picture of Pierce like trying to break everybody up. And I'm like in the picture with him. I'm like, that was awesome. Adam Pierce, funnily enough, every week without fail on Facebook, you can ask ask a question. Q&A, yeah. But he always, always questions my question after I've asked it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> There's always an add-on. He does it every week. I was asking about um, Wilson from the Seahawks. Like, is, yep. he the, is he the best quarterback in your opinion? And he always questions my question. And then we have a little bit of back and forth every week. It's good fun. And as you say, it's good good to see him on TV every week in, in yes. the role. It, yes, it's, he's it's a brilliant. great guy. Great guy. He held that, held that NWA title, you know, high esteem when he, when he was champ. So that was cool, man. That was cool. I want to segue into music now. I'm going sure. to come away from wrestling. I just want to speak to you about your music career. I know that's quite broad, but... You can just give us some stuff about the music career, man. Absolutely. When I was uh, when I was ten years old, I wanted to be a pro wrestler so bad, and I found out uh, someone told me that I couldn't get a pro wrestling license until the time I was eighteen. So I was like, "Man, I got eight years to kill. What am I going to do?" So that year, I'd asked my grandparents, uh, who basically raised me. I asked my grandparents for a guitar for Christmas, and they got me my first guitar. And a year later. I mean, I spent a year in the bedroom just plunking at a string and all that kind of stuff. And a year later, I had ended up uh, playing what there was a venue around this area called uh, Woods, which a lot of kids knew of. They're like, you're played in the woods? Like, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, it's a building like Woods. Like, it's cool. Um, But it was like the most popular like music venue. It was an old beaten up, broken down church that they turned into like a punk rock slash alternative like music nightclub every Friday night. And um, we played there consecutively with my first band, the Midfields. We played there for probably about, I don't know, I can't can't even begin to think. It was was almost every Friday night for a year straight. And uh, we were like the house band there, basically. (laughs) There would be other touring bands that would come in and we'd open for them. And then uh, over the years, I had kept playing with that band. And then things kind of like went sour in 2000 and uh 12 ish 2013 so about the same time that i was really starting to like wrestle with wwe and do different stuff and um i was like if i return back to music i want i was gonna be done i was just gonna concentrate on wrestling but i was like if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it my own way on my own terms and i'm gonna go with a solo career so i literally became a solo artist i started playing acoustic guitar and everywhere i went i would just do solo shows and 2013 just took off and then now we're in 2020 
I am three full length albums in I'm two EPs in and I, it's crazy. I couldn't be more thankful. I've made more money with a guitar than I ever should have in my life. Like I felt like I cheated the music system uh, completely where I'm like, yeah, I hear about all these guys that literally have like this drive and determination to want to be big in the music industry and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's, it has nothing to do with being big. It has to do with being a businessman and being smart. You know, you could be the tiniest musician that nobody's ever heard of, but as long as you're a smart businessman, you can still make your money, you know, like, so there are people out there that are so well and popularly known and everything like that with a huge following and they don't make Jack, they don't make any money or anything like that. But then there are people like me that some people know, some people don't, but I've made a good career off of it. That's cool, man. I bet it's I bet it's hurting you at the moment though, not being able to tour with with the music and the wrestling. It's that it's like a rock rock and a hard place for you. The both you know, both both the things you like to do and you can't get out in that live capacity. Uh, absolutely how, how's it's, it's, that how's that for you sorry i jumped in then no you're fine it's it's the worst yeah like i said it, it's cool to be home and to hang out with the kids and all that stuff and not have to worry about packing my bags and going to a certain city for the week or the weekend or whatever but i miss it man and i miss i miss the warm weather i love los angeles i'm out there almost every year playing shows and i do radio station appearances and stuff and that's actually where i plan on moving uh here in the next year or so and uh, I just love California and to not be out there on the West coast where music is always happening and stuff like that. It sucks right now, but uh, it's just too dangerous. You know, it's too dangerous at the moment with the pandemic to get on an airplane and do all this crazy traveling and stuff like that. So eventually I hope to, re- to return to it. Hopefully things will be as normal as they can be in the next you know couple of months. And uh, hopefully 2021 is way better than 2020. <laughs> Who was some of your inspirations getting into music? Who did you love listening to? Who did you like listening to? Um, as a, like as a kid, I always tell people like my first uh, memory of of music, kind of like how I had my Ultimate Warrior memory as wrestling. My first memory of music was uh, I remember having a Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic tape. I had a Nirvana Nevermind tape, and I had a, a Green Day Dookie tape. Those were like my first three cassette tapes that I ever remember having. And I had a vanilla ice, ice, ice baby oh, tape. No. Uh, oh, Brian. So it was, did that just kill my credibility? <laughs> um, no, because you've done, you've done well, so it's fine. You, 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 you're still credible, but I wouldn't have said you would have been vanilla ice. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very eclectic. And, yeah. um, but I, I really took a liking when I was about uh, 10 years old to, to punk rock. I really started finding uh, Ramones and The Clash and The Sex Pistols and Rancid and uh, MXPX and all these different bands I was really, really into. And then uh, later on down the line, I started finding out about bands like The Queers and Teenage Bottle Rocket and Screeching Weasel and the Ataris. And the list just went on and on. I was like a diehard punker. And then now in my older age, what I like to call my older age, I, uh, my wife has turned me on to country music a little bit. So I've, I've, I'm like, I don't know. It's like, I'll always be a punk rock guy my whole life. But then I love like, I love like old country Western stuff like Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and stuff like that. And then I love, um, you know, like rockabilly in between. I love like 1950s rock and roll. I love Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, Elvis Presley, and the list goes on and on Eddie Cochran. Like there's just so many good artists. So 
I keep my music range just kind of open. Uh, there's not very much that I won't give a chance to. There are there, you know, some, some things I turn on and I'll just turn right back off. Like, I can't do this. I can't listen to this. But I try to be open-minded about everything going into it. Creative process, making, making the albums. How long has it taken you from album to album to, to, put, to um, put them together? I want to ask that. That's something I like to ask. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Um, I would definitely say that it's a lot uh, harder to make an album than it is to run a wrestling show. So I was a wrestling promoter for years as well as a pro wrestler. And uh, it, it's, it's a different process. It's kind of one in the same, uh, but it's a different process because with running a wrestling show, you gotta, you know, you gotta book the talent and you gotta pay for the venues and pay for the security deposits and the ring rentals and all this different stuff. And then like with uh, album, it's like lock me in a room for two weeks, every single night. Don't talk to me for hours upon hours. I'll sit there and write lyrics. I will take a guitar and just create what I possibly can bring to life. That sounds good. There's been times where I've written probably about 10 to 13 songs at a time and crumbled each one up and gone, no, nah, it's not good enough to release uh, very particular, very picky about it. Uh, but I literally have, I've over the years been grateful enough to kind of piece stuff together. Okay. This is good. This is horrible. I like this. I don't want to do that. And then I go in and I track everything and I track everything by myself. So I track the drums and then I track the bass and then I track the guitars and then the vocals. And it's literally like, every single thing I'll just spend weeks and I produce all my own stuff. I never work with a producer. So I'm literally like, I know if something doesn't belong where, it, where it doesn't belong, take it right out and make it work. And I'll, I'll record something and then come back to it four weeks later and fix that one thing that I knew in my head over and over again. Like you can't release a CD until that's fixed. So very, very particular. It's very crazy. But at the same time too, it's like, you know when something is good and when something isn't. So if you don't, if you don't think it's good, don't release it. You know, like, and there's been plenty of times where I, I don't do, you know, what I should and, ah, oh, screw it. It's recorded. Release it. No, I'm not releasing it. Like I want it to be good. I want it to be perfect for the people. And music is everlasting. So it's like years from now, I'll be gone. You know, like I'll be dead. I won't be on this earth anymore. And my music will still be around for generations and generations to listen to. So hopefully as well as my wrestling matches, hopefully people dig through the vault and find some stuff on me because I love watching old uh, wrestling stuff from Florida and different old territories, Minnesota and Calgary and all these different places where I'm like, these are matches that thank God did the WWE network. Now we can see, but you know, back then nobody even knew that some of these matches existed. Good, good insight there on the music and, and the, and the wrestling. Absolutely. What are some of your favorite albums of all time? Oh man, just, you're just, putting me on the spot with this one. Just, just, <laughs> just a few. You don't have to like, I'm sure there's many. I'm sure there's many, yeah. but. Um, right off the top of my head, I would say probably, um, Stray Cats built for speed, um, Beach Boys, Surfer Girl, Elvis Presley, uh, the first album, the self-titled album. And off the top of my head, like Ramones Road to Ruin, uh, it's a great record. So those are just four that I can think of right off the top of my head, like great, great albums by great artists. Favorite MXPX song? I'm gonna watch it off. Oh, uh, my life story, for June. sure. Uh, June. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, great, great song. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of different stuff I listen to. My son's got their, uh, one of their songs on repeat right now in the Tony Hawk game. I can't remember, uh, what's the, what the track is on there, but, um, I'm spacing on it, but literally every day it's like my son has Superman <laughs> by, uh, Goldfinger yeah. and the MXPX tune and uh, something else playing. And he's just like, dad, come play Tony Hawk with me. Responsibilities make my favorite song, but yep. I like it live. I like, I, like the yeah. I like the live version. I don't know what it is. I like the song in its original format, but I think it's even better live when they released the live album in 2015. Heck yeah. I, I don't want to think about it. We keep getting about it. I don't want to think about it. There you go. <laughs> that was good, man. That was good. So, yeah. God, I think you've encapsulated a lot of music you taste. Out. That's, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Absolutely. Right, back to wrestling now, Brian. What are some of your favorite matches of all time? Um, I would have to say for sure uh, that Brett and Davey at SummerSlam 92 is up there. Um, there. You were there? I was there, mate. Yes. Oh, you're giving me chills uh, right now, man. Six years old with my wow. with uh, dad. With dad. So we traveled from North Wales down to London, um, which is about four and a half hours, five hours. I know you guys do crazy distances over there but four and a half five hours to us is is you know a hell of a distance but yeah six years old right. man six years old so, Wembley. That, i have to ask you what was the when you were there what was the crowd like? unbelievable um on previous episodes that i've spoken about it when the guys have asked me it was just it was the split between bulldog and brett you know you would have thought the majority of that eighty thousand people would have been with bulldog i was i wanted brett to win brett still my really favorite. <laughs> absolutely absolutely yes. man he's still the greatest of all time in my mind i know it splits opinion he, he's the greatest yeah. he's the greatest like in my mind i i love brett best there is best there was best there ever will be um, for also, sure so to be fair lennox lewis coming out with the union jack with, yes with yeah, Bulldog. That, that was that was a poignant moment you know yeah that's a big deal um Besides that, I mean, I'd say that's probably in my top five. People ask me this all the time, and I'm like, gosh, there's just too many companies. Like, it's hard to decide. Yeah. But, like, that's probably one of my favorite WWF matches. Um, ECW, I am, like, I'm a mix because there was a match, and I'm a huge Bret Hart fan, too. So, like, there was a match from WrestleFest 97, which was a co-WWF and ECW event. Yeah. And Terry Funk and Bret Hart wrestled each other in the main event. And I love that match, too. And um, I find that a lot of my favorite matches have bread in it. So that's saying something right there. Like he literally is one of the best ring technicians of all time. Um, but yeah. And then there's, I mean, I like independent stuff too. I thought the feud that Colt Cabana and Adam Pierce had was fantastic. Um, I was a huge Ric Flair fan back in the day. Guys like uh, wildfire, Tommy rich and stuff like that. When he, he was had his short reign as the NWA champion. And I just pull so many different, matches uh, for another big one for me is right here at, at the uh the baltimore civic center about 30 years before i was born was bruno san martino versus superstar billy graham and there was the title change that night and uh i, I love old school wrestling i really do that's cool man it's just i know that's hard to encapsulate because there's so many so like when people ask me do a mount rushmore i can't do it I said this. I can't. <laughs> when I had when I had TJ Wilson Tyson Kid on for a, earlier in the year, and he, he agreed. He said we could have a top fifty. Me and you, couldn't we? I was like, yeah, we could have yes. a top. I could have a top fifty of guys. It's it's just. I, I agree. So there's just 
there's just too many great talents, which is crazy because that's that old generation. I'm not saying that there isn't great talent out there today, but in comparison to what it was back then, man, I've just got too many favorites that I have a hard time choosing. I can name off a million different guys for a million different reasons, and I just, I just love pro wrestling. <laughs> Bret Hart and Piper is one of mine, you know, because WrestleMania eight to tell, to tell a story from the promos in the back. And then is Piper going to go back heel and they're teasing it. Yeah. And they're telling the story and it's like a 12 minute match and they get everything in and it, yep. it's perfectly, perfectly done it, from a fan standpoint. I know you've, you're aware Absolutely. Of it, right? but from a fan standpoint, incredible. It always, Absolutely. Uh, always had, the hairs on my arms on, on end, you know. <laughs> it did, you know, when they embraced it at the end. Like, yes. Playing with your emotions, that's probably one of the first matches that really played with my emotions, you know, as a youngster. Yep. Two great intercontinental champions. What about current wrestling, Brian? What what are your thoughts on, on the current product? Uh, um, well, I honestly, I don't like to sound like an old man about it, but it's not what it used to be. Uh, there are some very talented guys, and I'm sure that people watch me and they go, oh, he's not that great either, you know, or whatever. I mean, today's product is just completely different. There are so many talented individuals out there, but it's not what it used to be when I was a kid. I love all, like anything from 1950 up to, you know, 1999, I'm all about it, you know? And after that, the last 20 years have kind of been like, eh, I mean, there's, there's things I like about it, certain moments in Ruthless Aggression era. And I loved uh, TNA in like 2005, 2006. Um, and then now I am an ultimate fan of AEW. So I will put AEW up top there. If that never gets me hired at WWE, then I'm really sorry. And I just blew my opportunity <laughs> right here on on Stu's wrestling podcast. We'll cut it. We'll, I'll get Chris. I'll get Chris to cut it before Friday. It'll be all right. <laughs> but, uh, but I I love AEW the product yeah. at the moment. I uh, I just am a, a diehard AEW fan. I watch it every single week. I don't miss a single episode. I'm glued mm -hmm. to the screen. Um, I'm not that same way invested in WWE or, or NXT at the moment. Although I can say that I love 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 Walter. So. Yep. You're not the only American to say this. I've, He's fantastic. He, like, he reminds, he he looks reminds me off. of of a um, sorry. Like he re he reminds me of a version of like Mike Awesome. I know that sounds crazy. Do, do you see the comparison? The, the build, the the aura. Yeah. yeah. Um. He doesn't need to say. He doesn't need to say very much. I, I don't think because he did, you know does it in the in the ring. But uh, this this feud with Isla Dragunov, they're just yes. They've been each other in progress in WXW in Germany, but it's been per yep. perfectly done. I'd say NXT UK has been brilliant since it's been back on the air. I've been yeah. very, very, very impressed. It's Sorry. good, you know, like, and that's the, uh, you know, Walter's great. And I'm trying to think of guys on like the Raw or SmackDown roster that I really think are amazing. I mean, AJ Styles and Randy Orton, no matter what, mm -hmm. they both will always be great in my eyes. Um, I love AJ Styles. I got to do the uh, the 2016 backlash uh, segment with AJ, where he walks up to me and <laughs> you know you're you're destined for failure and stuff. And as soon as that camera cut, he turned and looked at me and he said, "Let me tell you something right now." He goes, "Don't listen to anything AJ Styles just said to you." He said, "You're not <laughs> destined for failure." He said, "You know, go on to do big yeah. things in this business." He was such a down to earth guy, just such yeah, a great um, guy. So he's better. He's better as a heel, I think. I know, yeah. he can, I know he can be the superhero, but 
he does the heel. His heel, his heel work has gone from strength to strength. I think, especially since he came over from TNA in uh, New Japan. Yeah. So. Yeah. When he when he pops up on a screen, it doesn't matter what he's doing, whether he's a babyface or a heel, or whether he's on Raw or SmackDown. I'm watching. So, in terms of AEW, because I know you're very fond of it, which which guys are, are giving you the first the appetite to watch week in week out? Um, so I, I, it might be unpopular at the moment, but cause a lot of people, you know, crap on them, but I love the young bucks to be honest. I think those guys are fantastic. Um, I really like MJF as a heel. I think he just literally the guy oozes charisma and he's great. Um, I think Jericho has reinvented himself so many times that he's just always going to be like, I think Jericho is today's version of Hulk Hogan. Like he's just so good and, and he's just, he's money, you know, he's money on the microphone. He's money in the ring. It doesn't matter what he looks like, long hair, short hair, gained a little bit of weight or six pack abs or whatever. Like he is just absolutely fantastic. And, uh, I don't know, man, that whole roster is just good. I'm a big fan of Adam Page, but I was a big fan of Adam Page for New Japan and Ring of Honor. Why they never put the belt on him, the TV title especially. He came so close so many times, but it's good to see him showcased at the top end of the card. I Absolutely. I'm a big fan of him, Brian. I think he remi- he reminds me a lot of Magnum TA. Yep, yeah, that's a good that's a good comparison. I've never thought of it like that. No, but yep. absolutely, yep. mate. On the money with he, that one. He reminds me of Magnum and I, I'm a huge Cody fan too. Like I, I, when I was younger, I was kind of a Cody fan, but I'm more of a Cody fan now ever since he wrestled Nick Aldis for the world title. That had, you know, it, all in had really, you know, set the bar in my opinion. So I, I'm a huge Cody guy too. We need Nick Aldis back on TV, man. We do. It, it we needs, do, definitely. He needs to be doing it. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. It's a throwback. It's like, the, it's, like yep. the, it's like the 80s all over again with him, but fresh at the same time, isn't it? He's so awesome. I mean, literally, talk about he's he's in my probably top ten of today's talents for sure. He should have a contract wherever he wants to, and he should wrestle wherever he wants to and make as much money as he can for him and Mickey James and their kid. It's been cool seeing Thunder Rose on AEW. Do you know what I mean, yeah, absolutely, they brought her over. It's just been use them, use them. They, they've obviously got a good working relationship with Billy Corgan. I'd, yes, get all get all this on the show. Uh, it, it, it do no harm. It do no harm in my mind. That's why I think this pandemic just needs to pass. Because mm. as soon as this pandemic passes, uh, NWA Power oh, you know, will hopefully be. Rip- it's it was so good, you know, like yeah. it was so good. I just went to a Ring of Honor show this year as a spectator, which I'm not even gonna lie. I have not been to a wrestling show to sit there and watch in years. And um, I had to go because Nick Aldis was on the card in the main event with PCO and a couple other guys, and I said. I got to see this, man. I got to see this in person to say that I, I've watched it. So I went. Can't get over just how good he is. I remember it when he first came in in TNA, man, and you wouldn't have expected him out of the guys they had. Uh, he's, he's exceeded my expectations of how far he's gone. Absolutely, man. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's cool. Right, Brian, can you plug your social media, the music, the wrestling? I want the whole kit and caboodle, man. Absolutely. So my, uh, my Instagram, my Facebook and my, uh, TikTok are all at Brian Hardy music. You can find, I, I post pictures of my wrestling collection on Facebook and Instagram at Brian's wrestling collection. And I also have a YouTube, YouTube channel, uh, which every week I do like figure reviews and stuff like that at Brian's wrestling collection. 
And uh, yeah, I'm I'm new. I'm not new to Facebook and Instagram, but I'm new to TikTok. So I'm just now starting to get it together. My 15 year old daughter or 14 year old daughter uh, has over 3 million likes on TikTok and she's got over 80,000 followers on TikTok. And I'm like, dude, you're 14. What's your secret? And she's like, I don't know, dad. I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's crazy. So I'm trying to get up there with what she's doing right now, but I'm way behind the times, dude. This, this Zoom call with you right now is new to me. Like I, this is the second time that I've done one. I did an interview last week for a, um, a show on YouTube called Fig Hub. And um, I literally, besides that, like I've never done a Zoom call besides that. So you're my second Zoom call. And my daughter, I said, I'm doing Stu's wrestling podcast. I said, I need help doing this Zoom thing. What do I do? And she's <laughs> like, oh, she's like, did he give you a code? I'll type it in and whatever. And I'm like, gosh, I'm so old. For oh, man. Like, That's cool, man. That's cool. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom's the best. Um, yeah. Skype, Skype quality is not as good. So I've all, I've, I've stuck with Zoom, man. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's easy and it, yeah. it's, it seems cool. So. Mr. Brian Hardy, musician and wrestler. What a pleasure, man. Just glad we've got it done. Thank you, man. I'm appreciative for the time. And uh, like I said, it's crazy because we're on like opposite sides of the world, but it's all good. <laughs> Technology so. does work sometimes. <laughs> Most yeah. definitely. Well, we thanks go, so man. much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Flying the flag for the UK from rugby. This is Evade Escape with their single, Already Know. This episode is brought to you in association with Powered 4 TV. So go and check them out for anything wrestling related, old events, new events when we come out of COVID, podcasts, you name it, it's all there at Powered 4 TV. So find them across social media. Sports Social Podcast Network.